This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awan. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thank you for listening. As I record this, nearly all of us have had over a year of our lives impacted by COVID-19. But I'm mindful that the way your life has been impacted might look completely different than mine depending on where you're listening to this. But if you're anything like me, one of your first concerns about how the coronavirus shut down the world was how it was going to impact your kids and the kids in your community. From that place of concern, I want to bring you a conversation that I think not only addresses those concerns head on, but provides helpful next steps for you and your family to focus on, regardless of what your context looks like right now during this pandemic. Valerie Bell, CEO of Awana, recently sat down with her son, Brendan Bell. Brendan is the executive director and one of the owners of Cherry Hill Counseling, a multi-site practice in the Northwest suburbs of Chicago. Brendan and Valerie cover a lot of ground here, so I've actually released this in two parts so that you can listen at your own pace. As you listen, take your time to soak in the wisdom shared by these two advocates for kids and leaders in their faith, and make sure you check out the show notes for more information. Brendan starts the conversation sharing what it's like to be a mental health professional during a global pandemic, and I thank you for listening. This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast. Just flat out overwhelming. Um, we have never had this many cases in our practice ever, and uh, and I think that's the story of most practices around the U.S. Is we are pretty overwhelmed with cases. We're turning clients away left and right. It's very very upsetting. So your caseloads are all full, and you're having to say no to people. Very well, much so. In I fact, can't imagine I, how hard that must be. Yeah, it's extremely hard when you have a, a mom calling in tears saying, "Can you please see my son?" And, and she's desperate. I already have a waiting list that's yeah. so many people deep, and I know I could help her, and I just, um, I can't get her in. It's very discouraging, and the, the therapists that I would normally refer to are also full. So um, it, it's, uh, you can see the amount of distress in people's lives, and you just don't have the capability to meet the need. I can't imagine what that must feel like. It must feel like watching somebody drown in front of you, you know, that you just can't, you, there's not enough of you or people like you to be able to help her during this pandemic when the need is so great. It really is the hardest thing in the pandemic for me right now is seeing such great need. In fact, it's in some ways it's called the second wave of the pandemic. The first wave being, of course, the health crisis and how awful that is. The second wave being how we're coping and how we're dealing with not only the uh, coronavirus itself, but quarantine and how that's impacting all of our lives. You said to me when we were talking that night that there you are uh, wounded healers. Those of you who are in the mental health uh, care for souls kind of um, work, that you're wounded healers right now. Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, the, the thing about this pandemic, it's, it's affecting all of us. So um, a lot of the times we talk in therapy about transference, when you have personal life issues that you can see playing out in the lives of your clients. Well, that's true for all of us right now during this pandemic is that we're going through much of the same issues that our clients are going through. So we're holding on to our own crises and our own pain and our own traumas while we're helping clients try to process theirs. 
So we have wounded healers who are experiencing all the stress that the rest of us are experiencing. We have more people needing help, but also there's an intensity issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's happening are not only are the numbers going up, but uh, there's more crises. So we're putting out more fires, uh, metaphorical fires. We're uh, admitting people more to hospitals, more psychiatric care. Uh, I've admitted more clients in the last year than I ever have in, in years before this. Um, yeah, exactly. It's um, it's very distressing. The, the work is uh, very demanding in that way. In fact, um, one of the big themes we've been talking about at work is burnout. Is uh, It's one of the common themes we keep discussing with our staff is how do you manage the burnout of, of taking care of these huge caseloads and these personal stories, the intensity of the cases, it's very, very challenging to our staff. I'm thinking a lot of people are relating to this. They may not be uh, in the psychology area, but pastors, um, essential workers of all kinds. I mean, my heart just has gone out to those people who show up to work every day and know it's going to just be a heartbreak. It's going to be really hard on them. Um so there, there are, are a lot of people who are in this same predicament during a pandemic. They are trying to take care of others to, their, uh, uh, to a high level of care and high level of demand. Well, at the same time, um, they themselves are beginning to run out of gas and steam. You know, they're beginning to unravel themselves. Uh, these things are happening. Let's, let's speak to those people right now. How do we take care of ourselves um, you know, it's like the old saying, you have to put on your seatbelt uh, on the plane before you put on the seatbelt of the people around you. How do you put your seatbelt on if you happen to be one of those who's been caring deeply and with great commitment for other people during this pandemic? I think this is one of the challenges, right? I mean, normally we would lean into our relationships we would lean into our coworkers. I, I think that is one advantage of we have a larger practice. So uh, we have um, we've been meeting regularly every week, processing our our own lives and our. How own many cases. clinicians do you have? I th I think we're about at thirty six. And you keep hiring to try to take care of the enormity of the problem. I know. Yeah, we do. Yep. Mm -hmm. So you are meeting sometimes and uh, gathering during this time. Yeah, we've had. Um, uh, normally, we just meet once a week. We're a, a, a practice that's pretty community focused, just even amongst ourselves. But we're upping our our, our joint meetings, so we have more ways to support each other and uh, look out for each other in this. And is this face to face or is it all Zoom? It's mostly Zoom. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, that's a little it, different, still, isn't it? It is. It's hard. It's hard to you know as therapists, we're reading. Okay, this might make some people feel a little uncomfortable, but we're reading body language, where you sit. Uh, there is uh, something that happens in the room between you and the client, the space between you and them, and you're just not getting as many cues from a video screen. So I find that a lot of us are working a lot harder in the therapy session to uh, to pick up on the cues we need to do our best work. Mm, it's interesting. So so do try to find a way to gather. Don't become so isolated. Uh, what what other things can we do to take care of ourselves first in a pandemic? You know, I think the other problem is the usual ways we do take care of ourselves are not available to us. So if we think of uh, what kind of things do we do, uh, we go to the gym. 
we uh, eat out. We get I miss together that. friends. <laughs> yeah, those are all uh, wonderful things. You know, I read an article that said sometimes we've managed to keep that first level of friend, you know, that one we just cannot live without. But what we are really missing are the second and third level people that we just, um, you know, say hi to and have little chats with. And they give us this sense that all is well in our world, just their presence. And I thought, that's so true, isn't it? We miss everybody now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I've had a few cases where I've really needed to go in person to see them. And even though they're in distress, there was a piece of me that was so excited to see them. <laughs> <laughs> it's a strange paradox. <laughs> but I was just so excited to see them in person and get back to what I, I normally do when it comes to in-person therapy. And yeah. So try to, and what I'm hearing you say is try to normalize your life as you can, as much as you can, you know, keep people in it, uh, continue to get outside of outside, leave your home. And, you know, dad and I have just been driving our car around places, Brendan. Is that crazy? Absolutely not. (laughs) I think that's a great idea. You do what you can. We're not going anywhere, but we just drive the car. I think the more you can get outside, the more you exercise, the more you can get off of social media and screens, we become very, very dependent on our screens, which on one hand I get, it's in some ways it's our only social outlet, but the more we can get outside and um, uh, do athletic things, uh, things that aren't, that don't involve sitting in one spot and staring at a screen. What's the worst thing we can do? <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, there's a that that can go pretty deep, Mom. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but you started to say it. I thought you were going there. You said, you know, you sit in the same place all day. Yeah, you do your work there. Yeah. You read the paper there. You have your food there. You know, you yeah. become like this rooted plant in one spot. Yeah, you see, um, you know, I work with a lot of teenagers, and uh, one of the things I'm really seeing is uh, kids are doing their schoolwork. They're connecting socially online. Uh, they're sleeping. They're doing every activity in their life in their bedroom in the same <laughs> chair or, or bed. And stop uh, it. It's stop just it. getting so repetitive. Yeah. They've lost uh, so much motivation for school and for m- most areas of their life. Yeah. You know, Bren, when you were here the other day and we were talking, uh, you shared some statistics with me and I was pretty shocked by them. Uh, Can you share those with us? Yeah, sure. I mean, they are shocking. Um, They're really upsetting. Um, In one survey, roughly 40% of those surveyed reported mental health or substance use problems which is significantly on the rise. That's significantly greater than. So you might have seen 15 or 20%, I'm just guessing. Probably not even that. Not even that prior to COVID. And now almost half of us are feeling mentally ill, basically. Yeah. I I mean, to put it in perspective, anxiety disorders have tripled during the pandemic. Oh, my goodness. Depressive disorders have quadrupled. And uh, those seriously considering suicide have doubled. Now, these are not, uh, just to frame this well, to be true to my business here, okay. <laughs> these, are not, these are not people who have been diagnosed with these disorders. These are uh, people that have been surveyed whose descriptions would match these diagnoses. I'll tell you, though, that still breaks my heart. 
Yeah. It breaks my heart to see those numbers and realize if you think about it, you know, half of the people that you pass by on the street are seriously struggling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the silver, well, actually let me give you one more stat with okay. that. Um, more than one in 10 adults started or increased substance use during quarantine. So you, you, we're seeing all sorts of things on the rise, uh, addictive behaviors, uh, substance use disorders, process addictions, all sorts of problems. I'm going to throw this stat in because I want you to talk about this. Okay. That there have been 83,000 opioid deaths between June 2019 and June 2020. And I'm just looking at that. They did not uh, intend to take their lives. No, I mean, uh, opioids are a class of drugs and uh, they're often used as painkillers. So a lot when, of them are prescribed. Did, and so these are street drugs? No, no. I mean, there are street drugs that use opioids, but um, a lot of these are actually prescribed by physicians. Say that again. A, a lot of those are prescribed by physicians for uh, pain management and, and whatnot. So they get into this to manage pain. And then they begin to realize that they can receive a high or a dulling or numbing of pain, psychological pain with it, and they become addicted. Yeah, the uh, the the rebound effect. If they're not taking the painkillers, they experience more pain. Really. So a lot of it, you know, a lot of the times we think of addictive substances as just a way to get high, but when when people get into a really bad spot, a lot of the times it's just not to feel low. Yeah. Just to feel better. Just to feel almost uh, normal or typical. Well, you can see when we have almost half of our population severely depressed and full of anxiety, they're looking for something that is going to help, aren't they? Yeah, and that really, the, the opioid crisis was a crisis before the pandemic. So, uh, But uh, one of my associates, Chelsea Laliberte, uh, she also runs a non-for-profit to address the opioid, uh, the opioid crisis and uh, along with substance use disorders. She uh, runs a, a, an organization called liveforlolly.com. And uh, they are, they're having the same problem we're having in, in that they can't uh, care for all they the people. They can't need. keep and, up and, with And it. they are working to keep people alive. Mm. They are, that is their number one goal is to keep people alive. That's amazing. So it's, um, yeah, it's very distressing just to see how the pandemic has just exasperated so many other mental health issues in, in our society in the U.S. Yeah. Let's talk for a minute about the disproportion of how people are affected. Yeah, and these also come from some uh, studies, uh, national surveys and whatnot. Um, but uh, let me just give you some categories of groups that are dis- disproportionately affected. Okay. Uh, young adults, uh, and that interests me because I work with lots of teens and young adults, and I see that firsthand. Um, Americans with a black or Hispanic ethnicity, uh, they're disproportionately affected. Our essential workers, Unpaid caregivers for adults. Um, this would include uh, adults who are sandwiched between caring for their parents and also caring for their kids. Mm-hmm. How do they maintain jobs and take care of these groups? How do they protect the, their, their elderly parents? Um, and then also those with pre-existing mental health issues. You know, we're not just seeing new cases. We're seeing a lot of returning clients come in who were doing great. But now that they're in the midst of this pandemic, it's, it's really triggered past issues and whatnot. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Why are kids leaving the church after high school? What if the strategy to change this started in children's ministry? 
The Child Discipleship Forum is where children's ministry leaders, senior pastors, and parents gather to collaborate, pray, learn, and dialogue about the most critical factors to shape long-term discipleship in children. Featuring speakers like Ed Stetzer and Gabe Lyons, as well as children's ministry champions like Dr. Wes Stafford, we will unite together at the Child Discipleship Forum in Nashville or online on September 16th and 17th. This is a critical moment for us to shape the future of the church and make the greatest generation of disciples the world has ever seen. Save your seat at childdiscipleshipforum.com. I think that the news has covered uh, black and Hispanic uh, disproportion. Um, we're very concerned about that, but that does hit the news quite a bit. And yep. of course, yep. essential workers make sense. Unpaid caregivers for adults uh, and people with pre-existing mental health issues. I can see how one plus one equals two in those categories. Yep. Yep. But what I want to come back to and have you speak to is young adults. Sure. Why are young adults struggling so much during this particular pandemic? Are there characteristics of this pandemic that hit them harder or what is that about? Yeah. Being a teenager in quarantine don't go well together is <laughs> uh, you have um, you just developmentally speaking when, you know, we look at people's ages based on what their developmental goals and tasks are at those periods in their lives. And for teens, one of the main things that they're working on is developing their social identity. Who are they? Where do they fit in the world? Finding their place in the world. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, so um, quarantining kids, I mean, we all hear teenagers say, I mean, I, you heard me say this when I was a teenager, mom, probably is um, I just want to go be with my friends. <laughs> you never you know? said that. You always wanted to be with us. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> 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 so, um, I, you know, I think uh, when, um, when you are, uh, oh, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> through them when you when you're trying to find your place when you're trying to find your place and keep it when you're trying to find your place in the world to have a pandemic hem you in makes you crazy yeah that's lay, so. lay language for what's happening with these it really kids, does it? it really does and then you have teenagers that um you know normally during the teen years our baseline mood declines very very slightly but um uh, and then you throw in a pandemic, the lack of activity, uh, staying in the room, trying to learn by video, uh, uh, e-learning and, and whatnot. It's, um, it stacks the deck against them. The other piece is they're also grieving. They're grieving mm. significant events in their lives, missing prom, uh, um, yes. not being able to see their girlfriend or boyfriend, um, uh, uh, missing out on sports and activities and awards. And they've been working their whole lives thinking for a lot of kids, high school is the pinnacle of their sports career. Most people aren't going on to D1 or, or uh, college sports or whatnot. So to, to miss out on some of these opportunities that they've, they've been looking forward to for so long is, is, is pretty disappointing. Yeah. And uh, this is the age that you work with specifically. Um, and you, you're seeing a lot of grief. You mentioned to me grief, and I hadn't thought grief, but that's yeah. what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're talking about the pandemic. Uh, Brendan is a mental health worker, and I'm just curious, Brendan, are, what are you seeing uh, that's unique during this time? Yeah, well, I think a lot of you are already familiar with a lot of what's unique about this time, but uh, 
Um, and this doesn't, I don't think this will come as any surprise. The pandemic has really thrown our lives out of balance. The usual ways we cope with stress is now not available to us. Uh, time with friends, going to the movies, uh, the gym, out to eat, uh, going to the park, playing sports, throwing the football around. These are not, um, not options for us. So all of a sudden we're struggling to figure out how to make up ground on top of the, the, the immense stressors we're experiencing during the pandemic. So yeah, let me talk a little in more specifics here. Um, uh, it's not just the pandemic. That's one thing to, to realize. It's also quarantine. Quarantine has a really negative psychological effect on people. It's necessary. I'm not against it by any means, but, but it does have consequences. So, uh, you know, one, for example, is, is the isolation we're dealing with. We are uh, uh, highly isolated. Uh, people are at home, bored, um, lonely. Uh, I mentioned I work with teens. Uh, the loss of motivation is incredible right now. Uh, with a teenagers. lot of them are just dropping out of everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I have kids that have been straight-A students uh, throughout their history, and now for the very first time are getting C's and D's wow. or even F's. Wow. And moms moms and dads are, are wondering, is what's happening to my son? What's happening to my daughter? What? Why aren't they functioning the way they normally function? Is this going, going to last after the pandemic? Is it going to stick around? Um, there's a lot of fear around that. And for that matter, anxiety is it's running very high. Um, you know, the fears of contracting the virus itself. Mm-hmm. But for other people, it's financial strain and job losses and insecurity about the future, uh, investments that they've lost. Um, and, uh, and I think the other piece with anxiety is how much time we have to think. Uh, you know, there's that old phrase, uh, the idle mind is the devil's workshop. <laughs> well, that workshop is big right now. So when we have idle mental time, do we usually uh, move to the end zone that's positive and futuristic and happy? Or do we move to the other end zone that's pessimistic and dark and uh, full of anxiety? Where do people go usually? Well, it's possible to move towards that positive end. It really is. (laughs) It's sometimes this time can be a very creative time for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But for most of us, though, we do slide toward that doom and gloom, that, that negativity. And I think people can feel like they're just losing it, like they're just being crazy. Yeah. And, and there is a sense of unreality about living in that dark end zone because we are ideating and creating anxiety over things that may never happen that really don't exist. Yeah. How, how do we deal with that? How, how, you know, if you recognize, boy, I'm living in a place I haven't been in before. Um, is there a way to cope? Is there a way to address that? Yeah, I think, um, again, our lives are really out of balance. So, you know, we could get into this later, but there's there's ways to rebalance your life and not get so caught up in in your thoughts. You know, we I don't think we always realize what happens in our brains when we overthink. We uh, when we think and think and think we, we're, we're um, contributing to an attention bias. In other words, the more we think of something, the more important it seems to us. So the word, the word for that is attention bias. Yes, it's, that comes out of the discipline of heuristics. The yes. heuristics has a uh, hundred of these, more than a hundred of these concepts, these terms. And one of those important mental concepts is the attention bias. The more attention we give to something, the more it biases us towards its importance. 
And when that happens, it sets us up for a physiological response in our body. We, we start to have physical symptoms around that. Like um, what? What would the physical symptoms be? Oh, I mean, be? So it, some people are dealing with panic disorders and panic attacks right now. And anxiety, that's the thing. We, sometimes we assume anxiety is just an emotional thing. But for people dealing with severe anxiety, it's very physiological. It's, it's as much, if not more, about the body than the mind. So people dealing with panic attacks uh, can have racing, a racing heart. They can have very butterflies physical. in the stomach. Yeah. They can feel numbness. They wow. Can, uh, um, their hands can get clammy and cold. Uh, they, they can have pulsing headaches. I mean, it's, a, it's incredible the number of symptoms someone can have when they're having a panic attack. Wow. And then at that point they go, what is wrong with me? Yeah. Am I crazy? Like, yeah. what, how, why is this? And, and so, um, it's, uh, and with all of this extra time to think, yeah, it's not just anxiety, the emotion, but it's also the physiological response in our bodies. You know, Bren, when I think of everything that our nation's been through, uh, it, it's not just the pandemic, but we've had this unstable political situation where we're seeing all kinds of activity on the street that we've never seen in America before. Uh, we have uh, um, economies that we're worried about. I, I feel like the whole country could be uh, diagnosed as being PTSD right now. Yeah. And, I, and yeah. I feel that myself sometimes that, you know, my anxiety has just gotten out of control and I recognize mentally it's grown to be a huge uh, cloud over my life. <laughs> you know, so th- I'm asking you, you yeah. know, for people, how do we find sure. reality? How do we find that healthy sweet spot? Yeah. Well, I think a piece of that too is this concept of collective trauma that we're, we're not everyone has been traumatized by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Let me just Mm-hmm. that out there. But a, but a number of us have. And then what happens is we're all talking about it mm-hmm. and it goes on the news feeds and it goes on social Constantly. media. And then what happens is we get the steady stream, the steady diet of, um, of trauma and, uh, and pain and suffering. And, uh, you know, even for us who are trained for it, it gets to be overwhelming after a while. So what happens is that just contributes to the attention bias, right? Mm-hmm. That's where our, where our minds are. And we end up just riding that wave of, uh, anxiety and worry. and pain. You know, something that's helped me is, uh, we memorize scripture at Awana and I find there's a huge comfort in the scriptures because it's so mentally healthy. The scriptures have been with us for thousands of years and there is no modern science that's been able to point to it and say, this will really make you a sick person. (laughs) You know, it actually, there's so many verses about what we think about, where our faith is, where our belief is, where our trust is. Uh, I'm, I'm so thankful for that tool in our lives. And even, you know, maybe you haven't memorized a lot of things since you were a kid. Uh, Those scriptures are deeply rooted. And I would really encourage people, if it's a dark place that you're living in now, open your Bible and begin to look at those verses that you underlined as a child, because they can speak to your well-being at this point as well. Well, That's wonderful. I I think it could be helpful to talk about that overthinking tendency a little more. Maybe we could get into that, too. That's Well, let's talk about it. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Well, let's just, uh, (laughs) let me get to a a few basic points there is... um, is this idea of the attention bias. Uh, when we overthink, we reinforce our fears. Mm. That's, I mean, that, that's it, right? To, to cut to the chase. Mm-hmm. So, and during a pandemic, we have way too much time to think. 
So you can just see how our minds like gears are going around and around and around. And uh, we can get ourselves to pretty bad places. Uh, A lot of people can't sleep. Uh, A lot of people um, are uh, just uh, dwelling and playing that what if game. What if this happens? And what if this happens? And what if this happens? And before you know it, uh, it's just very, very difficult to regain control of those thoughts, especially when it's brewing in your physiology. So uh, so one goal is to try to become more present in the moment, to live in the here and now, the, this moment. Yes. You know, we tend to be um, fearful about the future. Uh, we, we depress about the past. <laughs> and two ways to fight fear, the anxiety of the future, and the depression in the, of the past is to, to live in the moment, to be in the here and now. You know, we had a crisis in our family a couple of years ago, and I have an older sister who's seven years older, and um, this crisis led me to look at aging and being uh, a part of a demographic that's older. And I said to my older and wiser sister, I don't know how to do this time of life. And she said, you do it one day at a time. And that was the most wise thing she could have said to me. And that's what you're saying. You don't have to do all the months of what if. All you have to do today is today. The only thing you can change is now. Yeah. You can't change the future possibilities. The past is is done. It's over with. So the only thing you actually have any control over is the here and now, this moment, what you do right now. The Resilient Disciples Podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk next week.